Hi, welcome to Matters of the Heart and Soul. I'm your host, Janie Charlotte. Matters of the Heart and Soul is a podcast to raise awareness and awaken humanity to all that is within. We want to be a beacon of light on your life journey. Hey guys, welcome back to Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast. I am your host, Janie Charlotte, and I really want to apologize. My voice is a bit raspy today. I'm currently doctoring myself back to perfect health, but I did not want to miss the opportunity of announcing my co-host, Russell Bruce. So Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast, we will be co-hosting with Russell Bruce, and I'm totally excited about this Um I think that the energy Russell is going to bring to the podcast will be amazing. I think having the male masculine energy and perspective on some of the things and issues that we're going to talk about on the podcast will be another added advantage. And also, I think that the interviews that he's going to have set up will be just amazing for me to participate in. So I'm totally excited to be sharing this platform with Russell. So with that being said, um, our first podcast co-hosting, we will be talking with Jason Rankin, and we're going to be talking about why was Kobe Bryant's death so impactful. So stay tuned and we'll get these guys going. Hi, welcome to Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast. I am your host, Janie Charlotte, and this is a special podcast because I am co-hosting with Russell Bruce. Hey, Russell. Hey, Janie. So today uh, we're going to be speaking with Jason Rankin, and Russell will be introducing Jason and also the topic today. All right, let's get right into it. Jason Rankin is a great friend of mine. He's from my hometown in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. We played together on the 1982 WPIAL championship team, as well as state runners-up. Jason has coached basketball for 30 years. He was the first African-American head coach in Newcastle sports history. He has seven district championships under his belt and won the title in 2010, the girls' title, District 7, and in 2011 was named Section Coach of the Year. Jason, in his career, has coached 17 1,000-point scores and has also coached 43 students that went on to play at the collegiate level. Wow. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So today's topic, we're going to be talking about Kobe Bryant's life and death and the impact that it has had on so many people, like not only in sports, but outside of sports. And and Jason, let's kind of jump right into it. You're a father, you're a coach, you've played, uh, you've coached girls, your daughters, you have two daughters. So it's like, with me, it was very relatable because of all these different aspects, because the fact that he was a father. I'm a father. I've coached my daughter and my son. And, you know, being a champion, all those things did just impacted me. Like, Kobe was bigger than basketball. Can you kind of expound on that? Well, yeah, because um, I, I agree. Kobe was bigger than basketball because uh, – you know, he had a 20-year career with the Lakers. And for me, I'm a you know a lifelong Laker fan. You know, I've been a fan since the 70s. So, um, obviously, I, mean, I was a big fan of his. And, you know, in, throughout the course of his career, not only did he win games and, you know, uh, accolades, you know, he's an MVP, uh, uh, won five championships. But towards the end of his career, especially the last uh, third of his career, he became a lot more um, involved with uh, people outside of basketball. Uh, he did a lot of charity work. He also uh, mentored a lot of players coming up and coming through, and not just his teammates, but other players. And that's uh, pretty remarkable when you talk about mentoring guys you, you may play against, you know. So um, he did a lot of special things that were well, well beyond basketball, and um, he took pride in being a father, you know, uh, being a husband. 
um, you know, and he he really worked at uh, just doing other things beyond uh, basketball, which a lot of it came out really after he died. You know, he did a lot of uh, altruistic things that um, obviously people didn't know about when he was alive. Exactly. And and people say that a lot, whether it's relationships or people's lives, it's like you tend to learn more about them in the end than you do at the beginning, because now it kind of forces people to delve deeper. Like me, even personally, I, I understood <clears throat> who was the basketball player. I knew, you know, about his beautiful family. You would see him kissing him after the games and such. But afterwards you know everybody dug deeper because you have all these different people who had different experiences with him so you kind of get the good bad and indifferent but you got to delve deeper into who he was as a person who he was as a father a mentor as a husband things of that nature yeah so let me ask you so during the time in which kobe played in high school you were coaching were you familiar with him as a high school basketball player yes it's funny because um uh, I was a boys coach in 1996 when he was in high school, his senior year. And um, at the time, the team I was coaching, our high school, um, Newcastle, we were doing well, really well at one point in time during the season. We were 14 and one, and we were actually number two in the state. So um, just I was an assistant coach, and I was just kind of looking through um, the papers, which is, you know, shows you 1996 was actual newspaper print. And they saw a number one team in the country, and number one team in the state was Lower Marion. And, you know, if you at that time, uh, if you knew anything about Pennsylvania basketball, at least Eastern Pennsylvania basketball, the, the big names were Chester, um, Coatesville, which actually had Rip Hamilton had graduated the year before. And Lower Marion wasn't a really well-known school. So I was like, how is Lower Mar Marion number one, you know? So I, I did some uh, research and I saw uh, Lower Marion's led by this high school American Kobe Bryant. I thought, who is Kobe Bryant? You know, like, where'd this name come from? So I looked into that and I said, oh, it's Joe Bryant's son. And I thought, wow, you know, this kid must be pretty good. Maybe we'll play him, you know, because at that time, like I said, it was like mid-January, mid I think, maybe early January. We were number two in the state. I thought maybe we're on a collision course, but things didn't work out for us. Uh, we kind of imploded and went the wrong way. And his team ended up winning the state championship. And they actually beat a team we were just, we were had talked about before, Erie Prep, which was the team we played when we were in high school, which is a, a Western Pennsylvania power. So, you know, I kind of knew about him then. And, you know, I was to say, hey, this kid must be good. And then he made the announcement he was going to become a pro. And I thought, wow, you know, he must be really good because he's only 6'6". And, of course, like I said, I'm a lifelong Laker fan. And when the Lakers took him, I thought, wait, 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 what's going on here? And this is he really this good, you know? And I was kind of worried because I thought, well, you know, they needed some other players. Um, they hadn't gotten Shaq officially. So when they drafted him, I thought, you know, let's give it a shot. But from the moment I saw him play, I could see his determination and his focus. And, you know, he was obviously 18 years old. He was thin. Um, but he was out there playing. And, and I remember through the course of his uh, rookie year, he didn't start early. And uh, they brought him along slowly. But by the end of the year, he was playing. He was playing a lot, <clears throat> starting. And he was probably most famously or infamously known for the air balls against Utah in the series, you know, his, his rookie year. But, you know, as Kobe was, you know, he said, learn from it. He learned that, you know, you've got to be able or willing to take that shot or put your name on the line, put yourself on the line to get better. And, you know, that's a, a great teaching tool. And as a coach, you're always trying to use the game itself to teach life lessons. And, and, and that was one of the many, you know, that we would learn from Kobe over the next 20 years. So let me ask you a question. So we, we know he was a great player, right? What mm -hmm. do you think what do you think it was about Kobe that has made it so impactful? Like his death, like for example, there's only certain people that have passed on that cause grown men to cry open in public <laughs> you know what I mean so it's like yeah. what was it about Kobe and who he was that caused that I think it was a few factors you know I mean you know let, let's be honest he's no different than than all of us where he had his ups and downs you know uh people don't realize the Lakers his last couple of years were not very good okay so uh you know his, his career was stellar individually but he, they had some bad years but they also won five championships but 
I think it was the fact that one, his determination to continue to get better as a player, to never rest uh, on his laurels, to never say, you know, I'm 10 um, time MB, all NBA or whatever else when he was in year 12 or 13, he was still the same player at year 20, at least mentally as he was physically. But I think the other thing too was again, you know, as we kind of hit on at the beginning, um, people started to see his personality, his, his, his willingness to give, um, his joy, you know, the fact that he had a great sense of humor. You saw it a lot of times on the talk shows. He was a very funny guy. And then his love and admiration for his children and his wife, you know, um, I think one of the things that really made that special for him was here's, you have this big, strong strapping guy, you know, who was, uh, you know, talked, you know, the game, so to speak. Uh, worked hard at it, but he was this doting, loving father of four girls. And for me personally, that really hit home for me because I was raised in a family where I had six sisters, uh, five older. Um, I have two girls. And at the time when Kobe was actually, when they were winning championships, my girls were small. They were, they were babies. And uh, 2010 was really a special year for me because the Lakers won the championship and my girls basketball team had won the championship. And, you know, I started out coaching boys for a long time and, you know, I, just in full disclosure, I was like somewhat sexist at the beginning because I would, you know, see girls playing basketball think, no way, no way. And then when I had daughters, I thought maybe, maybe, but then it just kind of fell on in my lap that I became a girls coach. And I said, wow, I really enjoy this. So, you know, I think a lot of people saw, you know, this, his passion. A lot of people saw his kindness. A lot of people saw his willingness to, to evolve as a person and you know the giving that he had, the giving nature he had as this, just great qualities. And, and for a man to, to have all those things and uh, to die so young was, was very hurtful, not just for Laker fans or, or basketball fans, but for the casual fan who, who was just a fan of Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I agree. That's definitely. So, and also, you know, to find out, what all he was doing to help push forward the WNBA and women's basketball overall, you know, and how he would take Gianna around the country, you know, to go see Connecticut play different WNBA players that they were close to. I found a lot of that stuff amazing that he, he had impacted not only a lot of guys in the NBA that he was training, he was training a lot of WNBA players as well. Uh, yeah. He, re he reached out to a lot of them. Jason, um, you're currently a girls coach, right? Is that right? No, I'm, I'm currently a boys coach. I'm currently an assistant boys coach. I was a girls coach off and on. It's an interesting thing. I was, like I said, I, I had no interest in coaching girls. And uh, okay. my alma mater asked me to be an assistant coach. And I thought, to be honest with you, when she first asked me, the head coach, uh, this was 2005, um, I thought, yeah, girls, you know, what happens if I say the wrong thing? You know what I mean? Sometimes, you yeah. know, have a wide mouth. Um, Dude, what what happens if, excuse me? Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what are some of the differences in coaching girls versus boys teams? And, and people always ask me this because I think for a couple of reasons. One, at our high school, um, I was a, an assistant coach for the boys when we were really, really good. And, um, course we you know Russell and I both played there and then when I became a girls coach we actually won a couple of championships and then um like I said when I first was asked I had some reservations and then the coach said you know come watch us work out come watch us you know practice and I thought I'll give it a shot and you know I learned so much about myself you know and what I learned about myself was you know I had to communicate better you know one of the things about coaching girls is that girls get the big picture when it comes to sports because you know, WNBA players are not paid absorbent salaries. A lot of them have other jobs. So education is very important, you know, for a girls basketball player quite often. And if you see girls sports in general, women's sports in general in college, you know, most of the athletes will graduate, you know, the schools graduate at very high rates. So um, they go on to do other things right after their, their collegiate career is over. So when you coach girls, at least through my experience, you have got to, you, there's no smoke and mirrors. You know, you, you can give some, uh, some raw, raw speeches, but if they don't like each other and they don't like you, they have other things to do. You know, um, I, I actually, my first year 
when I was a head coach, we would go to playoff games and I had girls who would request to keep the lights on on the bus so they could do homework. You know, whereas when you coach a boy or coach boys teams quite often, uh, pretty much every player on the team has some dream of going to the NBA. And it's a very far-fetched dream. And you can tell the kids that a lot, but they don't hear it, you know, until they actually have their careers are over. So uh, coaching girls, you have uh, a lot more, I can't say control of the game, but there's a lot more things you have to be aware of. Whereas coaching boys, sometimes, you know, if you have a great player, he takes over the game and it's it. And I've seen girls teams that have had great players, but because um, the team they played against had a better team, they were able to stop that player and win championships. And, um, you know, I really enjoy coaching girls because the other thing is this is a lot of fun. You know, uh, I was uh, lucky enough uh, when I had my girls, I stayed at home with them because I worked overnights. So I spent a lot of time with them growing up, you know, when they were infants and, and playing with them and, you know, reading to them, doing all those things that you do, you know, when you were able to dote on your kids. And so when I became a girls coach, I realized that they just appreciated that more, much more. They, they, they let their feelings show. I mean, I had tons and tons of meetings with girls and, and cry sessions and, you know, fights and arguments and, and, you know, makeups and, and I'm talking about players inside, you know what I mean? We, we, we had that, whereas boys hold their, their feelings in a lot, you know? So it's a lot more emotional. Um, and if you're not prepared for it, it can be overwhelming. But again, like I said, I was raised in a house full of girls and, um, you know, I was used to it. And um, I always say, if there was ever one guy who was ready to coach girls, it was me. And ironically, I didn't see it until somebody had to knock me over the head with it. Jason, let me ask you a question. So I I was doing some research one day about him and his helicopter, right? <clears throat> and they were talking about how he had missed some of their school events and he got tired of sitting in traffic and being late. So he started flying a helicopter around. How how big is that as a father to like miss out on your kids' events because you have to travel with the team? things of that nature. Can you relate on that? It is hard. You know, um, you know, it's funny when you coach uh, high school basketball, it's nothing obviously near, you know, NBA commitment, but it is a tremendous commitment um, because it's not just the four months of the season, but there's out of season. So you have to be very aware of what's going on in, in, in your family's life in lives um, to make sure you're there for them. And, and there are times you may have a game and, like my daughters, um, both were very much involved in school plays and, and, and singing. And they did a lot of different things, cabarets and stuff like that. And, you know, you have to be aware of those dates to make sure that you're there for them. And the great thing for them um, with me was that they were very supportive of me. You know, they came to the games. Uh, my oldest uh, daughter, Sophia, huge fan of mine as a coach. And she never missed a game, followed us, especially when I was coaching the girls, um, you know, was right there front and center at the games. And, and uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I reciprocated uh, whenever she had an event to do, you know. Um, I work in the school system and quite often, you know, when they had things as younger children, we were able to go and see, you know, little plays and things like that during the course of the day. But you have to make sure. I know. Uh, one of the things that Al McGuire, the old coach from Marquette, used to say was, if you can't make basketball, your mistress, your family has to come first. Mm. And that's important. You know, I mean, it, it really is. And, you know, for years, they were very supportive as, you know, I was at the same school that they went to. And when I went to a different school because I, you know, I wanted to reach out, <clears throat> it was hard when they couldn't come. So I understood, you know, what they may have felt if I couldn't make it to something that they were doing. You know, but um, my girls didn't play basketball for me past seventh grade, but I never had a problem with that because they had so many other pursuits that um, I wanted them to look at other things because of the commitment that it took, you know, and, and I wanted them to, like I said, to sing and I wanted them to make sure they were good students, which they were. And, and I wanted them to uh, enjoy other things, you know, and, and they became well-rounded people and didn't spend you know all this time in the gym. And I had to make sure that I was there as much as I humanly possibly could uh, for all the things that they did. 
Let me ask you a question. Can you, can you speak on the fact that Kobe was a, a girl dad? Can you, can you speak on that? Like, for example, it just made me think more deeper about my relationship with my daughter. And, uh, you know, just going back through all the pictures and everything that I had and to really appreciate that particular bond, because as men, I think that we're the first ones that have the ability to accept or reject them. Right. You know, yes. your mother's child. But but daddy has that choice, not a good choice to disappear in their life <clears throat> or just not be present. But it just made me appreciate a lot more that I kind of was in that same line in which Kobe was like being present for my daughter and, you know, not only showing up for events, I co I coached her, you know, I'm her number one supporter. I show up at practice, you know, all these things. Like when she sang, like if she didn't do well, she needed a shoulder to cry on. I was always there for her. Right. So those were some of the things that I thought about when, you know, I, I started looking at Kobe and Gianna and, you know, not only them, but his other daughters as well, right? And yeah. the fact that that bond was so tight. Can you elaborate on the, the girl dad? I'm not going to call it a fad. Hopefully it stays around. It just gets <clears throat> a lot more men to kind of look at their relationships with their young girls because we do have a, a major impact. And one, and one more thing I'll say is, and the reason why I always look back at Venus and Serena, right? I remember when they were young and they were number one and two in the world. Yeah. And they, during the interview, they were asked, what made you to think that you could ever become number one and two in the world? And they said that our dad told us we would be. So mm -hmm. it's the, the father's words are almost like prophecy to young girls. Can you elaborate on that? That's a great oh, question. Yeah. Well, and, and it is a great question, and it's a tremendous situation because, you know, um, uh, for you and I, uh, we had in, in some similarities in upbringing. You know, we both grew up in public housing. Um, mothers worked, you know, to try and, you know, make sure everything was together. So from the beginning, we saw women as strong people in our lives, you know. Um, like I said, I had five older sisters who were uh, very strong, very strong-willed, uh, very intelligent and, you know, put me in my place at a very young age about, you know, knowing what to do, when to do it, and, and, and just showing that they were, they were equals. So when the time came that uh, I was blessed enough to have daughters, I never saw them as anything less than special gifts. You know, my mother told me years ago when, uh, when I had my son, my first son, he, she said, uh, as long as your child's healthy, you should feel blessed. And so I never really, you know, thought about, girls or boys, it was just, you know, happy to be there. And so when they were young, you know, I raised them and I tried to raise them, you know, uh, um, to be strong, to speak and think on their own so that we would have that kind of a relationship. But I also was very open to the girl thing, so to speak. Um, like, you know, you saw Kobe quite often in interviews talk about, you know, watching Disney movies and singing songs with them and dancing with them. And those are things that, you know, you do when you're a father, you know, when you just, you know, adore your kids and, and your girls, especially. And you know, I was just always just so happy to be with them because, you know, they just they just brought out the joy in me. And the, and the one thing I always used to say was, you know, I looked at my daughters and I saw like every woman in my life who was special to me, my mother, I saw my, my grandmother, my wife, of course, their, their mother, uh, my sisters. You know, and I saw a little bit of everything and that made me so close to them. And, you know, now um, they're adults and we're still very close. But, you know, growing up, uh, you know, I just had so much fun with them. I, you know, it, it was it was great to be, you know, we live in a small town. So you, you become a little bit known. People know who you are if you stay along around long enough. And of course, we had some success as a coach, you know, as a team when I was coaching. So you know, there was like that kind of a pressure out in public, you know, to be a certain person. But at home, I was I was just dad, you know, and, and that was important to me. And it still is. You know, sometimes when I get on them, you know, I, I hate to even say it, but the, the, the truth of the matter is they know how to get to me. They always do, you know, because they're my girls. And, Girl. and 
Yeah. Oh, they do. They do. They always do. You know, I always used to joke and I always thought, you know, all my kids love me. And I certainly loved all my kids, but my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, um, used to just think I walked on water when she was a kid. And, and it was funny because my son would come over and, and I was close with him, you know, obviously. And we'd come over, he'd come over and visit and we'd talk and he was probably 13 years old, 14 years old. And my daughter would come in a room and if he was sitting beside me, she'd come sitting between us, you know, mm-hmm. and she just, you know, that was just everything. And, and uh, as a matter of fact, her younger sister had to take the brunt of it because whenever I had to, you know, change her or feed her or give her uh, my youngest attention, she was just not happy, you know, and, and just that little jealousy, obviously I could control it and I could contain it, but I loved it in a way. And sometimes it was tough, but, you know, it just made me feel so much better um, as a father. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, as parents, <clears throat> if we can look at our children as equals who have a chance to do wonderful, special things in life because of the way we raise them and give them the opportunity, then that's all that really matters. You know, I mean, um, like I said, I have boys, girls, coach boys, coach girls, and, you know, um, it's the person inside, which is the most important thing, but it's really nice to see that attention being brought to. And like, like you said, and I agree, I, I hope it's not a fad. I hope that a lot of men become a lot more responsible with their kids and enjoy uh, the time and being a girl dad. Yeah. Good stuff. I think, um, I think it's amazing actually, because um, being a woman, uh, I've always been close to my dad. My dad passed away about a year ago. But um, I think as far as the Kobe Bryant situation, basketball is competitive, right? Um, And it's a competitive sport and it's about being strong and it's about the hustle and it's about winning. And so it's nice to see, like, I think the soft side of what Kobe represented as being a girl dad um, yes, because, you know, in sports, it's all about winning. And, you know, a lot of that is ego. Right. And I, I get exactly. you have that to win. But it um, I think it just it brings some light to the world in relationships with fathers and daughters, because it's very, very, very important. Um, the relationship a woman has with her dad is the first male relationship, right? There's a lot of women broken because they never got that attention from their own fathers. Daddy issues. Daddy issues. Well, and and exactly, I totally agree. And and one of the worst points about that is uh, girls growing up feeling like they're second-class children to a son because of a father who you know, becomes enamored with having a junior or becomes enamored yeah. with having, you know, chip off the old block. And and, and I'll it's tell you a great story. It's like culturally, right? That's been yes. like, that. like, can you give me a son? Can you give me a son? Can you give me a son? Um, because the son carries the name or the family name or the He looks like the dad or whatever. The legend, yeah. So um, it's just nice and refreshing to see this this going around right now. I, I think Kobe's impact with his daughters and what he was trying to do with women's basketball and women in general, I just think it keeps the conversation going. <clears throat> Actually, it opens up people's eyes. Some people probably weren't paying attention to some of the things that have come out recently in the media in reference to them being underpaid and so forth. But yes. I myself over the last 10 years found WNBA pretty interesting. Back in the day, I would probably just turn the channel, but they've become so good at what they do. Mm. And the thing is, I've played with some women like Teresa Edwards and Keisha Brown. I've played with them on a regular basis for years. And fundamentally, they're usually more sound. They don't waste movement. They're, uh, you know, if you're opening your head, them they pass you the ball. They don't wave you off or try to make a fancy pass. But uh, so, Jason, there was some talk about possibly changing 
the logo to Kobe, things of that nature. So <laughs> uh, the NBA did go ahead and name the the uh, NBA All-Star MVP trophy after him, which I thought was a great idea. What else should we expect uh, as far as his legacy and, and memories of Kobe from the Lakers and the NBA? Well, you know, I, I was I was pretty fired up when they talked about that. When I saw that that was like a petition going around, you know, on the internet, and they had a few million people who were interested in, you know, and in, in, in wanted to see that. And it, I thought it was interesting because, you know, uh, Jerry West is that that uh, image, but the NBA doesn't actually admit to that. <clears throat> and the reason why, and that, I think that was the reason why they didn't change it to Kobe because. I'm not sure what that would have entailed, since uh, Jerry West has probably never gotten a dime for being the logo of the on the logo of the NBA. Um, but you know, I, I think what you'll see, and I think especially from the NBA, the players he touched, the players he reached out to, the players he he mentored and instructed, you know, are going to continue his legacy because <clears throat> it was so heartfelt you know, for him to reach out to other players. You know, Kobe played 20 years for the Lakers, and any time that you play that long for one team, obviously you have that in your blood. You know, yeah. that is your team, that is your, your your personality. And quite often what happens is it shuts you off from a lot of the rest of the league. You know, you're a Laker, you know, whatever. You're a Celtic, you're, you know, a Steeler, a Cowboy, whatever. You know, so you almost have bad blood with other players who play on other teams, and Kobe was not like that. And, and for him to reach out and mentor those other guys, you know, is something I think he, he looked to plant a seed for those players to take and do to other players as they come in the league. And not just as, you know, uh, showing them certain moves, footwork, sh jump shots, whatever else it may be, but investments uh, or you know, community uh, interest, community involvement, uh, any altruistic endeavor that they, they may uh, uh, go about. And to continue to grow because, you know, he said so many great things. And one of the, one of the things that um, I really latched onto was that, you know, if, if you can, uh, your goal in life should be to, to use your craft to, to make the world a better place. And I mean, that's paraphrasing, but that's always <clears throat> how I've kind of approached coaching, you know, as many, uh, as much success as I've, I've been a part of um, as many great players that I've been, uh, fortunate to coach in, in many games, you know, I've been able, uh, able to be a part of wins. The bottom line is it's relationships that you lay down and, and you have based on the sport, the things that the kids have learned from the you know, things you want to teach them about working hard, setting goals, sacrificing, you know, being part of a team, which is bigger than, than just yourself or your wants or needs or desires is what the sport's about. You know, um, I coached 30 years. I had one player that I was very close to that got drafted, you know. So in 30 years of all the players I've ever had, only one able was able to make uh, a living playing basketball. All the rest of them had to do other things, you know, and they had to take those life lessons. And I certainly hope that, you know, I was a small part of their lives that, you know, that uh, made things better for them, you know, um, talking to them, uh just in their time of need or just trying to give them some information that would make them better people. And they can take, you know, with them after they left. And that's, you know, seemingly what Kobe was about at the, at the end of his career, you know, uh, reaching out to other players, reaching out to other people. Uh, I, I saw something last night, I was watching a show about him and um, they talked about, he had uh, over 200 people who were uh, make a wish recipients that he had reached out to and met. And granted their wish. It's 200. That, that's an absolutely insane number when you think about, you know, a lot of athletes do one or two, you know, and, and become, you know, this, they get this great uh, following because of it. And he did 200. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't know he had done one. And not that it mattered, but, yeah. you know, for him to, uh, you know, have um, done so much and never, ever once, tried to you know make it a, a, a spectacle about him you know it's amazing I know uh, a couple of days after you know the, the the tragedy I was looking on Twitter and, and there was a story of a lady who um who had a son who lived in Phoenix right outside of Phoenix and he was in the hospital and his son was her son was like six or seven years old and she said that she wrote the Lakers and said that 
uh, was towards the end, end of Kobe's career and that, you know, he, he really wanted to meet Kobe and he was, you know, terminally ill and Kobe wrote back and told to his publicist, yes, but one condition, no, no um, publicity. And, you know, the lady said, that's fine. And she was happy. And she said, well, there'll probably be something. And the day came that Kobe was, they were going to play Phoenix and uh, Kobe came to the hospital and he came in, in the back door made sure that it was no cameras, no nothing, because he didn't want anything or anybody knowing that he was there. And the lady said to her surprise, he didn't come in and shake the kid's hand and give him an autographed basketball and leave. She said he was there for an hour talking to the kid, you know, talking about basketball and, and playing catch with him and things like that. And she said, that, well, yeah, well, and although he, he ended up unfortunately passing away, um, she said he spent every day of his life talking about that time he met Kobe Bryant rest of the time and and that's i said and that was only because kobe died that we even knew something like that exactly because this lady had kept it inside of herself for maybe five or six years you know because that's what he wanted he wanted it to be real he wanted it to be truly giving because you're not giving when you're looking for attention because you gave to people you know you're you're looking to be satisfied you're looking to have your own insecurity satisfied your own ego satisfied when you give from the heart and you don't ask for anything in return and you don't want somebody to tell you you know what a special job you did by giving something then that's truly what what it's about that's That's a great point so jason we've seen a lot of great basketball players in the nba right so yeah Two of my two favorite were Michael Jordan and then Kobe. And what separated them from everybody else to me was their mindset, you know, and their ability to play hard on both ends of the court and leaving everything on the floor. Both of them played sick, both played injured. What is it about Kobe? What is the Mamba mentality? Well, I think, um, well, first of all, my two favorite players were Kareem and, and Kobe, um, both Lakers. And that was actually the reason why I was a Laker fan was because Kareem was my favorite player. And and I can just, from using him and this from using Kobe or anybody who's had that kind of achievement, I think the mentality is that um, finding a way to get it done is a, is a way to start with it. That throughout the course of your life, you're going to be challenged and you're going to be outside of your comfort zone and you're going to have to find a way to get things done whether it be uh, at your job or in your relationship, you know, I, I think parenting is a, a true example of that. There's no book for that. And there's a lot of things that you have to learn on the fly. And, you know, one of the things that Kobe did was, you know, you talk about an 18 year old kid and, you know, certainly I've spent a lot of time around 18 year old kids coaching. And to think of an 18 year old kid hanging around grown men, 25, 26, 27 years old, uh, hanging around them, knowing full well that he's gunning for their positions. Mm-hmm. He had to really, really emotionally have to deal with a lot his first first few years in the league. He had to become very strong. You know, um, while other guys went out, he was home. You know, he's back in a room, back in a hotel, whatever else. Um, while other guys were, you know, uh, maybe not working as hard, he was in the gym. And that mentality of, you know, finding a way to get it done is what made his career what it was. You know, um, you know, everybody remembers, anybody who knows anything about Kobe remembers the, the torn Achilles. And after he tore his Achilles, he didn't come out of the game. He shot free throws and then came out of the game. And, and people were talking about they were amazed he could stand, let alone shoot a free throw, which, you know, obviously anybody who plays basketball knows that you have to bend your knees, which puts pressure on your Achilles, and you have to follow through, which goes to your toes, which really puts pressure on your Achilles. But that was him finding a way to get it done, you know. And I think one of the great things about um, his interest and his appeal to the women's game was that he was looking a way to get uh, respect to the women's game um, through the WNBA, which would have trickled down to college and which would have trickled down to high school and and certainly junior high, you know, he re- had reached out to multiple uh, WNBA players and college players about improving their game, about what it took to actually become a better player. And you saw them speak at his uh, memorial. So, you know, that mentality is what drove him after they lost um, to Detroit in uh, 2004, I think it was, 
when they lost the finals. And I remember him sitting on a bench. And, and if there was ever a moment that I truly became a, a, a huge fan of his, I remember him sitting on a bench and um, the game was, the clock was running out. They were about to lose the series. And he had a tear coming down his face. Mm-hmm. I remember. Uh, yeah. And I thought, you know, I just, I loved it because again, like I said, I had a tear coming down my face too, because I'm a Laker fan, but it meant that much to him. You know, yeah. it didn't, it wasn't the money. It wasn't the championship, the fame. It was losing. It was mm-hmm. losing to a team I, that was a better team, but they had better players. And, and they said that the Lakers had better players, but the, the, the Pistons were a better team. And that hurt him. And it hurt him so much that he drove himself to continue to reshape his game and to reshape the Lakers, you know, to come back in 2008. And, and I can remember them losing to Boston and getting absolutely annihilated in, in the garden. And this heart, my heart was crushed because, um, you know, the Celtics were the Lakers biggest uh, rivals since the beginning of the NBA. And, and, you know, um, the Celtics were able to celebrate and, and, you know, Kobe had to put it on the back shelf and, you know, had to find a way the next year to come back and, 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 and win a championship. And, and they did. And, and, you know, I was watching the thing with he and Shaq and they talked about how as much as they loved each other and had put everything behind them, they were still competitive. And it was important to Kobe to win five championships because Shaq only won four. And that was just finding a way to get it done, you know, and, and, and that's what I think a lot of people can appreciate and respect in him. Uh, those who knew him and, and those who were fans of him, uh, whether you liked him or, or disliked him, you always respected the fact that he found a way to get it done. Yeah. And I could see with that mentality on the court, I mean, he would only, it would only trickle down to his family and his wife and kids. Oh, tremendous. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you could see, you know, in, in, in since his passing in, in, in the last six weeks, you've seen, you know, I'm sure stories about, you know, some of the ideas that he and his wife had had in regards to doing things in the community, doing things even regionally, nationally, nationally. Um, you know, she was very much involved in, in his goals and his ideas. Um, they were pretty much on the same page in, in, in giving back to communities and raising their children. And they truly were, um, you know, connected that way. And uh, I think that made his retirement that much easier. Um, he never looked back. He never thought I should come back. He never, I don't ever remember him uh, dabbling um, uh, about what the Lakers should or shouldn't do. Um, you know, he still talked to players, but he talked to them just as a mentor. Uh, he never compared himself and who I'm better than, who I'm worse than, and who knows yeah. better in today's game he, he truly gave everything he had for his 20 years and he moved on and then that's what one of the things I talk about when I talk to kids about coaching and, and sometimes they, they think I'm being morbid but I say you know you have to understand uh we all are on are, are on earth as a time you know limited basis but your co- career is the same way and the only difference is that you know exactly when your career is pretty much going to end so you have to get the most out of everything you have on the floor, off the floor, in the classroom, you know, because you're no, you're only going to be here for three years. Sometimes if you're lucky, if you're really good, four years, that's in high school, you know, uh, and then you have to take it and move on. And you have to look at it as every day that passes is one less day you have a chance to achieve. And, you know, that's one of the things I really try and stress to kids because I, you know, I, I say that knowing it will end should make you want and enjoy it that much more, you know, yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's a great thing that he was able to do. I'm sorry, what? I just said, and be willing to pass the baton and everything. Exactly. Exactly. Because what you learned, somebody taught you. And um, you have almost a a, a responsibility to teach the next next ones coming behind you. Um, And that's what builds programs. That's what builds families. That's what builds businesses. You know, yeah. that's what builds, that's how, you know, uh, uh, success is, 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 um, is built because people who have bought into the, the idea of what this company or what this family or, or, or what this program is about, they pass that on and, 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 and that continues to, to shine even after you're gone. I work for a company right now. I'm not going to disclose their name because I'm not sure if I get in trouble, but from the owner's personal mindset, 
it has trickled down to all their restaurants. I guess some people could probably figure out who it is. It has trickled down. He created a culture that many felt was unsustainable, but now it's like just they're dominating the fast food restaurant uh, industry. But mm -hmm. you see other industries <clears throat> mimicking now what they said wouldn't work because now they see it working and they're like just totally dominating the market. But, uh, Hey man, this has been great. You, you've been a great guest. Yeah, definitely, Jason. Um, and I agree with each one, teach one. Right. Um, I think we all have responsibility to teach the next generation, um, pass on the wisdom. Um, yeah, so we appreciate you. Um, you've given a lot of insight. Um, I can tell you're very passionate about coaching, which to me, coaching is teaching. And so you're constantly you know, every day I, pouring yourself out into other other kids, right? Well, it's exactly it. Exactly it. And, and you have to love it. You know what I mean? I, 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 I can't believe it's been 30 years. I can still remember my first practice. Yeah. You know, I've, I've coached... Um, I started out coaching seventh grade and I uh, did that for a couple of years. And I've been a high school coach since, but in the meantime, I've done AAU. Uh, like I said, I did girls, did boys. Um, but I, I just, I love it. It's uh, a passion of mine. I don't do a whole lot of any other things, um, but um, you know, I just love giving the message. I love being a part of uh, young people's lives and, and giving them a little push in the right direction. Um, yeah, it definitely you know, shows. want to try and do that. Yeah. So, Jason, um, today at this point in your life, um, what is the matter of your heart? It does not have to be related to the topic tonight, um, but what is the matter of your heart? The matter in what concerns my heart? Um, just whatever you feel is your heart's desire, your heart's concern. Um, if you had to, like you said, how some of your uh, girl, your girls would kind of teach you how to be a little bit more emotional. So if you had to reach inside your heart today, what would you say is the biggest matter concern? Um, I think the biggest matter is uh, just the idea that uh, when something like this happens and tragedy happens, and it's not just, just in Kobe, but in all of our lives, whether it be personal tragedy or um, something that is, you know, um, national that happens. You know, it, my heart always wishes that that feeling, that that understanding, that that sense of loss that we have, that motivates us short term uh, to be better people. I, I wish it would be long term. You know, I wish there was more of a long term commitment. Uh, I think we see this all the time where people. Um, see things that you know go wrong, and they say, "Well, now I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to be more caring." And then six months later, it's gone. Yeah. Um, I wish that would carry on forever, you know, because again, <clears throat> to be at this point in my life, you know, uh, the back end, um, knowing full well that you know the things that I teach uh, to my my kids and, and and to the people around me are going to have to be taken and, and by them without me here. It's important that I know that they truly understand those things. They truly uh, embrace those things. They truly want and understand what I mean and what, what's important to me that they take with them the rest of their lives, you know? And, and I wish in, in a general sense that when things do go wrong and we want to write them, we stop waiting for things to go wrong. Like you shouldn't have to sit, wait for someone to to possibly die or, or to someone to, you know, to pass for you to tell the other people in your life, how much and how important they are to you, you know, yeah. or show them. It doesn't necessarily have to be your words. It can be your actions. You know, we show love in a lot of different ways, not just by saying three simple words. And I think if, if we learn to appreciate each other just a little bit more, we learn to appreciate the sunshine and the rain uh, together, that um, life would be a lot better uh, uh, experience. You know, and I, I just think that, you know, quite often what happens is that we get, I can't say tied up or we get locked down maybe to the everyday mundane chores that we have that we forget, that we forget how special it is to wake up in the morning. 
we forget how special it is to taste food or see sunshine or feel the rain and um, don't ever take it for granted. You know, um, I lost my father when I was 10 and I tell people all the time, as much as it's hurt me for my whole life, not having him here, it's made me appreciate the people in my life that I've had, you know, and, and uh, whether it be my siblings and certainly my mother when she was alive, my, you know, all my relatives and certainly my friends, you know, uh, Russell and I have been great friends for a long time. We've talked about just about everything under the sun and it's been 40 years and there's not a day that goes by that I don't appreciate people like Russell in my life because I know that uh, he's a special person, one of many special people that have made my life that much better. And I appreciate that. And that's good stuff. I appreciate you too, bro. All right, bro. Jason, what do you think? So you said like you just wish that that energy could be more, uh, more long-term. What do you think? Like, yeah what do you think is the key to that longevity like just for all of us like how do we maintain that like, well I you know i think but go ahead. what do you think well i i just think that one of the things that we tend to miss on is that the simple things in life are the best you know um so many times and certainly we live in a society that that uh <clears throat> you know, trying to honors, I guess, uh, achievement as far as especially financial gain. But, you know, we miss and we don't see the simple things. Like I said, the sunrise, you know, the moon at night, um, time spent with families, time spent with friends, time spent alone. You know, um, I think we tend to get too locked up on um, the goal and we don't appreciate the journey, the process. Um you know, I love, uh, for example, I, I love houseplants. It's something I got from my mother. Uh, she, you know, had a green thumb and she gave it to me, so to speak. And so I love the process of uh, repotting plants and watching them grow in its day to day. You know, I, I check all my plants every day and I water them. Excuse me? I said that requires patience. And, and Exactly. And, but what it also does is it requires the idea that there are two things that have to go for uh, that, that are ingredients that help plants grow. And it's, you know, sunshine and rain. And we are the same as people. Um, we need the rain to appreciate the sunshine. You know, quite often what happens is everybody wants a sunny day. But if you had all sunny days, you wouldn't know what it's like to not, you know, uh, struggle. And you wouldn't appreciate, you know, the gains as much because it would all be the same. So, you know, quite often we see stories of people who have come up from nothing and achieved greatness simply because of the struggle they had. And quite often what they'll say is and talk about is it, it, it's the process, it's the journey. And it's the reason why I continue to coach after 30 years. It's not because, you know, um, you know, looking for more hardware or silver, you know, or, or, you know gold medals or, or, or rings. I don't even wear the ones I have. But it's the idea and the process that there's a young man out there, a young woman out there that may need some direction, that may uh, love the game and can use the game to become a better person. And uh, every day is a new day that you have to shape and formulate your life. And what you do with it is your choice. And I think is we can think of others uh, as we think of ourselves. We can think of giving uh, as much as receiving uh, as being a joy. Then I think the world becomes a better place. And I think the other thing too, is more than anything else, you as a person become a better person because your heart feels uh, more fulfilled. You know, you, you feel like you've done something, you feel like you've given something. And that even after you're gone, people will remember the things that you were able to contribute to the society. And I think that's what, what it's about. You know, I mean, that's I my opinion, you know, and, and, you know, obviously I can't necessarily prove all those things, but that's the way I live my life. And that's the person I try to be. Good stuff, man. Yeah. So Jason, um, can you recommend a book to our listeners? About that? Uh, you know, one of the books that, that was really important to me reading, um, uh, and it's kind of, I guess it has a basketball, uh, theme. It doesn't have a basketball theme, but it came from basketball in the movie coach Carter. Um, there's the famous, um, speech, I guess, or, you know, lines that guy, um, 
crew team uh it's a team of crews gives to them about um you know your deepest fear and in that uh he gives a speech about you know shining and your deepest fear should not be the shriveling up but it should be more about um shining and that comes from a book marianne williamson is that that marianne williamson quote marianne williamson yes she was actually she ran for um the democratic nomination at recently but uh she's a writer um she's written many books and after that movie sorry say that again is it one of her books yeah it's in her book and the book is called a return to love oh Uh, reflections on the principles of course in miracles and it's actually um from that book and um like I said, it was a you know like a huge thing, especially for us as basketball coaches and you know people who were following basketball. It was a big thing. Like everybody was talking about it. People were you know putting it on the wall and stuff like that. But the book is a really good book about just really refocusing and recentering your life, yeah. using love as the basis of you know how you live uh, your life, and um, that is just a passage in the book. Yeah, actually, I have that book. I'm actually looking at my bookcase. Like, where is it? Um, it was it was great. I don't know um, if you also got a chance to read her, The Divine Law of Compensation, but that's also another good read. Um, but I know you're talking about a return to love. Mm-hmm. Great, yes, recommendation. Yes, I've actually had it. I bought it three times because I've given it away twice to, to uh, once to a player, once to a kid I knew. So. Um, yeah. If I'm giving away books, it's a great book. <laughs> yeah, I usually buy two and gift ones. And um, I think, you know, books is the gift that keeps on giving because you can always go back to it, reread it, and all that stuff. Oh, over and over. Exactly. That's exactly it. You know, I'm, I'm the same way. I just kind of grew up in, in a household full of books and it was a big thing in our, in our lives and uh, something I, um, you know, do all the time now. Awesome. Did you have anything else, Russell? No, that we could actually keep talking. I know. I could talk to you forever. (laughs) Well, um, yeah. Well, and and I think, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, Russell and I have spoken many times and certainly, you know, uh, we both being Laker fans, Kobe fans, but we even beyond all of those things, both have a lot of the same ideas. I, I think obviously, like I said, we were raised similar situations. We've known each other for a long time. And we've tried to live our lives that, you know, in similar fashions, you know, uh, with the idea of, yeah, you know, there's a certain amount of personal achievement you want to have in your life, but you also want to be a good person and give back to the world around you. So after it's gone, after you're gone, people can take that message and carry it on. And um, so I think when you, anytime you have positive talk in, in um, you know, interaction, uh, it's something that seems to almost light a fire in people and, and, and keeps people going. And so uh, we've had many talks similar to this, uh, not necessarily about a tragedy, but just about life, life in general. So uh, I really appreciate you guys asking me to be a part of a podcast and uh, giving me a little chance to speak about, you know, some things uh, that have happened recently and just about my life and you know, the things that are going on. Definitely. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So um Wow, this has been Matters of the Heart and Soul Podcast. Uh, This is Janie. I am co-hosting with Russell Bruce. And we just got finished speaking with Jason Rankin on the impact of Kobe Bryant's death and um, just how it has brought up a lot of conversations, um, I think, in the sports world, um, fathers and daughters, Um, And so this has been a great conversation with Jason and Jason, we appreciate you. And um, I can say that, you know, this will be something great that you're putting out, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, because if you think about, hey, if you're not here tomorrow, this was a great conversation that somebody can say, wow, he had some really good insight and input and impact. So we appreciate you you coming on the show as well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. All right. Take care, Jason. You too. Thanks. Talk to you soon.